Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Are you in the market for a new pair of headphones? Studio Sweden wants to revolutionize the way we see headphones and makes it a priority to create headphones that are not just a tech device, but also an accessory. The tray model comes with a clip to keep the cord secured to your shirt, a leather carrying pouch, and changeable ear pads for a comfortable, custom fit. They provide worldwide shipping with tracking, so check them out at studiosweden.com and get 15% off when you enter code MOMSANDMURDER at checkout. Hey everyone, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring two housewives sitting around a kitchen table telling stories, getting off track and stuff. Perfect. That seems about right. Yeah, yeah I like that. <laughs> so I'm Mandy, and of course, as always with me is Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. You are really <laughs> psyched with this new opening. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm just excited to say something different. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So we hope you guys are all doing well this week. Um, we are celebrating another milestone. You know, you guys know we like to celebrate milestones, big ones and small ones, and um, they're just all worth celebrating to us. So today is our 30th episode, which is yeah. so hard to believe. I feel like that's, we're like more than halfway to our year anniversary of starting the show, which just blows my mind. So yeah, happy 30th episode, Melissa. Ha- happy 30th <laughs> episode. A lesser show would not celebrate such successes, but right. we... <laughs> No, the opposite. A bigger I was going to say, wait a minute. A better show yeah. would not celebrate. Just, We're just happy we made it this far. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Melissa, do you have any announcements for the week? Um, quick announcement. We're going to do a new little segment at the end of the episode. More than likely, if you don't hear it, it's because... It didn't work out. It didn't work out. <laughs> um, and so it'll be at the end of the show. It's something we're thinking, something a little light that we're thinking of doing at the end of our episode. So that way you can listen to the case. If you want to stick around for it, you can. If not, go your own way. Don't it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. And um, a, a little hello or a big hello to one of our new listeners... This is weird to even put into words. <laughs> Hi, Ali Sweeney from <laughs> Days of Our Lives, a host of The Biggest Loser, <laughs> the most amazing person on Instagram, nicest lady in the world. She apparently listens to us, and that blows our minds. And Absolutely. Yeah. And so whatever upside down world we're in right now, or I guess the upside down is basically what it, I feel that's like it, we're yeah. in. I kind of look like Winona Ryder some days. <laughs> In Stranger Things. So it works for me. Um, But yeah, so this is our new world now. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) No, but we appreciate- This is the show you signed up for. (laughs) Yeah. Not her. Poor thing. She's an unwilling participant in this. So so thanks for listening and thanks everyone for sharing, um, rating us on iTunes, all that kind of stuff. It really does help. So thank you guys so much. Mandy, you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, Today we're talking about the suspicious death of a devoted mother and teacher, Carrie Baker. Carrie lived in Waco, Texas with her young family, Pastor Matt Baker, and their two young daughters, Kenzie and Grace. 
The family lived an honest life with the church congregation fully behind them and supportive of them. And Carrie's mother described her as just really the perfect preacher's wife and said that she had a heart of gold and a deep love for her daughters. She was just a really awesome mom. Carrie and Matt met at a Baptist day camp in Waco in 1994 when she was 20 and he was 23. And they were, it was kind of a fast relationship. They were instantly smitten with each other. And Carrie would gush to her, her family, particularly her mother, about what a great Christian she thought Matt was, which um, anybody who, you know, follows religion knows that's like an important thing if you're looking, when you're looking for a spouse. So I can see why that would be important to her and what that would be like a selling point for her. Yeah, for her family. Right, for her family. So she really just liked him a lot. They fell in love very quickly, and after just three months of dating, the couple announced that they were going to get married. Less than a year after the wedding, they were expecting their first child, Kenzie, and just a year and a half after that, their second daughter, Cassidy, was born. Carrie's mother says that Carrie's life absolutely revolved around the little girls, and they... Really, Carrie and Matt both were just devastated when the youngest, Cassidy, was diagnosed with a brain tumor just shortly after her first birthday. Cassidy was hospitalized and Carrie stayed by her side every minute at the hospital. In late February of 1999, Cassidy was healthy enough to return home after 90 days in the hospital. Sadly, the joy of bringing their daughter home would be short-lived. On March 22nd, about a month later... Carrie and Matt rushed Cassidy back to the hospital with complications, but doctors were unable to save the child. Carrie took the loss of her child incredibly hard, as all mothers would. She enrolled in grief counseling, which helped her get through the first year, and then Carrie became pregnant again with another baby girl, who the couple named Grace. Matt says that while Carrie was joyful, she wasn't the same, and that he began to become the more active parent in the girls' lives. Carrie began using sleeping pills to get herself to sleep every night, and every year around the anniversary of Cassidy's death, Carrie would fall into a deep depression and would spend at least a day in bed watching home videos of Cassidy over and over again. Seven years had passed since the couple had lost their child, and Carrie was still struggling to cope just in her day-to-day life. Matt insisted that she see a doctor, and he went with her when she finally made the appointment. She was diagnosed with depression and prescribed antidepressant medication, but Carrie was in denial and refused to admit that her depression was a problem, and she kind of had a little breakdown over it in the car on the way home and was trying to open the car door while Matt was driving on the highway. She just kept saying that she just needed to get out and get some air, and, you know, she just needed just some fresh air. Later that same week, on April 7th, 2006, Carrie had a job interview at a local high school. Matt said that Carrie was nervous and that after the interview, she said she didn't feel well. She was just really exhausted. But despite all of that and, you know, just her saying she didn't feel well, according to her husband, she did drink a couple of wine coolers that night and just generally tried to relax. At around 10.30 p.m. that evening, she asked her husband to go out and rent a movie for them to watch. So 10.30 p.m. is kind of late to send your husband out to go rent a movie, um, for me, cause I'm an old lady and I like to be in bed and my husband would be like, I'm absolutely not going out to rent you a movie at 1030 at night. No. And if you're not feeling well, I mean, you would just, just go to bed. I would just go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so Matt agreed that even though it was getting late, he agreed to go out and get the movie. And so he left the house and he stopped at a gas station to fill up the car before heading to the local video store to rent a movie. So again, this was in... This was, you know, a while back and yeah. video stores no longer are a thing. Now you have Redbox and the Blockbuster box and – Or you just watch it on TV. watch it on TV, Mandy. Like Amazon Prime everything <laughs> or Netflix, Hulu, all of that stuff. I'm so glad that we live in 2018. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> That's what you get out of this story, that you're glad you live in 2018. I'm glad I don't have to go to a video store. <laughs> Me too. Those were the worst. When Matt got back, he noticed that the door to the couple's bedroom was locked. He picked the lock, and when he entered the room, he saw Carrie laying on the bed, completely unclothed, and he called out to her, but she did not respond. So at this point, he walked over and tried to nudge her or move her in some way, and he realized that she was actually completely unresponsive um, and that she was blue and she actually wasn't breathing at all. So at 12.01 a.m., Matt dialed 911 and told the operator that he believed his wife had committed suicide and said that she was blue, wasn't breathing, had no signs of life. Um, On the bedside table, there was a typed note, like a suicide note, and a bottle of Unisom sleeping pills. And there was also a couple of empty wine coolers, um, as he had said that she had drank some, some of the wine coolers the night before. So during this call with 911, Matt was getting Carrie dressed in clothes. He didn't want the paramedics to arrive and see his wife um, completely naked. And he was, you know, moving her to the floor, going to perform CPR and just doing all these things that, you know, whatever the, I'm sure whatever the operator was telling him that he needed to do. So he was trying to do all these things while speaking to them. So one of the detectives that responded to the call informed Matt that Carrie had taken her own life and she was just 31 years old at the time. An autopsy was not performed, nor were any items taken into evidence aside from that pill bottle and the remaining pills that were left, as well as the suicide note. Police believed that it was a cut and dry death by suicide, and they didn't feel like they really needed to investigate it any further. Yeah. The community and church congregation surrounded Matt and the girls with love and support following Carrie's tragic death. Carrie's parents, Jim and Linda Doolin, were shocked and in disbelief that their daughter would take her own life. They felt it was out of character for Carrie, but they had no choice really to believe it because there wasn't really an alternative. Linda remembers talking to Carrie the day of her death and says that she was in a really good mood and did not indicate that she was feeling down or suicidal at all. Linda's family wasn't as quick to believe in the idea that Carrie had killed herself. They all believed that Carrie loved her life and her family and would never dream of leaving her two daughters behind. They felt that at the very least, the case warranted an investigation. So this is interesting to me because it's not the mom, right? So it's not Carrie's mom. It's like aunts and stuff that right. are starting it's Carrie's to... Sis- or, sorry. It's Linda's sisters right. that are really pushing for more, just a more... They just have questions. Right. And that's got to be a really hard position to be in though because at this point everyone's saying suicide. So it's not like you're saying suicide or you're, it's not like you're saying murder and who could be the suspects? You're saying, I don't even think this is a suicide. And if you don't think it's a suicide, you think somebody did something. Right. You know, that's a big jump and that has to be so hard to, I don't know, to to discuss that. Like, how do you even bring that up? That's the worst conversation of all time. And especially to Carrie's own mother. I mean, that would be a really hard thing to approach her with and say, you know, we're kind of suspicious about this whole thing and we think it needs to be checked into. I mean, it's, it's already hard enough for her mother losing her daughter in that way. And, and that's a game changer. That that changes literally everything in their lives if it's not a suicide and, and something else went on. Oof. The outcome is still the same terrible outcome. But Absolutely. But it does make a difference um, in kind of how you grieve and move forward with the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, as far as just processing and understanding what happened, it makes a huge difference, you know, if it was one – if it was option A or B. Right. One of Carrie's aunts, Nancy, took it a step further and outright accused Matt of murdering his wife. She realized that Matt's story didn't really line up with what anyone else was saying about Carrie in the days leading up to her death. 
Those who had seen Carrie that day said that she wasn't sick, and in fact, she was happier than she had been in the last several days. Carrie's aunts felt that if Carrie was truly feeling unwell, she would never have asked Matt to rent a movie so late at night, and if she was going to take her own life, she would have never allowed herself to be found in the nude as Matt claims she was. Thank you. Yes. We're like the biggest, (laughs) we're so vocal about this, but a female is not going to be found nude committing or not by their choice. No, not by their choice. That's like I go to sleep fully clothed, pants, socks, like a hoodie. Right. I'm almost <laughs> mummified by the time I go to sleep. So so the idea that you kind of know that somebody's going to find you. You know it could be your husband, it could be your kids, it could be the paramedics, you would never do that. No. No, you wouldn't. But we talked about that in a past case that we covered, so um Everyone knows our feelings on that. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't believe that. I'm still <laughs> fired up. <Yeah. laughs> That's the first, like, red flag to me that police should even look at, for goodness sakes, at this point. Like, that's just not a typical right. way a woman's going to want to be found. Well, we don't know if she really was found that way either. That's just what Matt said. Yeah. So, but we'll get into more of that. I'm giving him that. Right. For now. <laughs> Lastly, the ants found it strange that Unisom was found on the dresser because they know that Carrie didn't take actual Unisom. She took a generic version of it and she called it her sleepy time pill. When Carrie's aunts told her mother, Linda, about their suspicions against Matt, Linda told them they needed to drop it and move on. This kind of goes back to it just being like a real touchy subject to bring up. Yeah. Um, And that would be a really hard thing to believe that your son-in-law, the man that was really like your daughter's that was her person. I mean, that's her yeah. husband and the father of her children and they're raising a family and not to mention his standing in the community. Um, I can see why she would be like, yeah, we're not going to discuss that. And, and he has custody of your grandkids. Exactly. I can, it would be horrifying to actually entertain that as a, oh, yeah. as an option. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't a crazy obvious thing, I can see how you'd just be like, we're, we're dropping it. Right. This is just how it is. Also, I find it interesting that you say aunt and I say aunt. I mean, that's just something I just picked up. I've never <laughs> apparently heard you say the word aunt. aunt. Yeah. Interesting, Mandy. You're a Melissa or you're a Mandy. <laughs> You'll have to let us know. <laughs> oh, dear God, don't. Um, the group of ladies, the ants, were not willing to give up, and they began telling... <laughs> now you're saying ants? Didn't I say... You I said s- aunt the first time. That's the problem here, Mandy. You can't... Change your vernacular as you go along. <laughs> you made me so confused. Linda's On the word family you use members. for life? <laughs> they began telling Linda about Matt's odd behaviors that they had previously kept to themselves. They didn't like Matt, and not only were they accusing him of Carrie's murder, they were also accusing him of being a sexual predator, which is just like, whoa. Yeah. The, like, all of this is coming out now, and that would be a lot, I feel like, to just take on and and start realizing. Right. So what had happened was some situations had occurred with Matt and people that knew about it kind of kept them quiet. Of course, as I said, because of his standing in the community, he was known. Um, I I didn't get the impression that they lived in like a particularly huge area of town. Um, So it was just one of those things where it was like, keep it quiet. Nobody really talks about these things. Yeah. Um, And you don't want to bring that on yourself. You know, it it has nothing to do with the victim being the victim's fault whatsoever. But you see that all the time where people don't want to announce it because then all eyes are on you and you've already gone through this crappy situation. Right. 
So one of the aunts alleged that Matt had made inappropriate sexual comments to her daughter. Good Lord. And she wasn't the only one alleging those types of things. In 1996, when Carrie and Matt lived in an apartment together, another resident of that complex claimed that Matt had tried to pick up her 16-year-old daughter. And this part is just so gross and weird. Um, Matt had seen this teenager, I guess, outside of the apartment complex and had just approached her and asked her if she had ever been kissed by a boy. And the girl was like, well, yeah, like, you know, and Matt just randomly moves in and kisses this girl, like, on the mouth. Who so does gross. This? Yeah. That is so gross, so creepy, That's and so, like, predatory. Right. You know? Very, very strange behavior. I think somebody that's gotten away with it for right. so long that it, to you have can just that, do it. Yeah, to have that level of confidence to even do that. and Also, this guy's super ugly, and I don't understand where he got his confidence. <laughs> he, I can say that because he he's is a terrible not, person. He is not good looking. No. <laughs> So Matt moved from job to job frequently, but he had also been warned about his behavior with women at the church youth center where he was working at the time. And then there was a woman named Laura Wilson, and she met Matt in 1991 while they were both student athletic trainers at Baylor University. She said that one night while she and Matt were alone together in an empty locker room, they were cleaning for the night, Matt grabbed her inappropriately. He denies having any kind of situations or harassing these women in any way says that all of them are lying which come on now that's convenient yeah I I can see you know maybe if it was one person that you really had like a weird thing with and they were just trying to get back at you and I could say well you know maybe I'm sorry but if multiple people come out against you and say that you have conducted yourself inappropriately chances are you have yeah people aren't just making that up right upon hearing about Matt's alleged inappropriate conduct Linda agreed with her sisters that Carrie's death needed to be considered further, and though a team of women dubbed themselves Charlie's Angels, and they set out on their own mission to investigate. They worked tirelessly following leads and retracing Matt's steps the night of Carrie's death. There was just a lot that did not add up. I love this part. Right? Where the they all get together and they form their own little team and investigate, and I feel like that would be me, like if I wasn't satisfied with... The outcome or what they, you know, what the official ruling was, I would be the one to like round up a team of people to go and figure it out myself or try to. See, previously I would not think that about you. (laughs) (laughs) Mandy's been extra feisty this week and now I'm like, oh yeah, Mandy, (laughs) Mandy would write the president. She's just all (laughs) Linda made a big discovery when she looked closely at Carrie and Matt's cell phone records. Just 10 days after Carrie had died... Someone was using her cell phone regularly. It was soon learned that the phone was being used by a woman named Vanessa, a pretty young woman who attended Matt's church. The records showed nearly 1,700 minutes of phone calls. <laughs> I just really need to emphasize that. That is so many minutes. That's, I probably don't talk 1,700 minutes on the phone in, in a, a year. year. Yeah, no. <laughs> Not since texting is available. Don't, don't ever call me. This is before texting. I understand, so. <laughs> but for now, don't ever call me. Just don't. I'm not going to answer. I'm going to ignore you. Find another means. Yeah, find another contact. means. <laughs> Write me 911. I don't care. I'll call you. So 1,700 minutes of phone calls between Matt and Vanessa. Furthermore, upon even closer inspection, the record showed that Matt had begun calling Vanessa before Carrie had died. When the women brought the information to police, Vanessa was questioned, and she told detectives that she did begin dating Matt, but it was only after Carrie had passed away. Police were intrigued by this and wondered if they may be on to a possible motive for murder. 
Linda and her team of angels hired Bill Johnston, a former federal prosecutor, and hit the pavement hard with building a case against Mac. Three months after Carrie had been laid to rest, Linda agreed to have her body exhumed and have an autopsy performed. The results came back in September of 2006, and they were inconclusive. There was no official cause of death determined, and Carrie did not have any traces or remnants of pills in her stomach, although this wasn't particularly surprising as it had been three months since her body had been embalmed and buried. They did find evidence of Unisom and Ambien in Carrie's muscle tissue. As the investigation picked up steam, detectives checked into Matt's computer search history. On the computer network at the youth center where he worked, there were searches for, I'm quoting here, overdose on sleeping pills. And she's using finger quotes while she quotes. (laughs) Yes. And there was also searches for overdose on Ambien, which, as I just said, was one of the drugs that happened to be found in Carrie's autopsy report. So Matt explained these searches by saying that he simply was concerned about the amount of sleeping pills that Carrie needed to fall asleep and that it was getting harder for him to wake her in the mornings. And so he was searching the internet for information because of that. So honestly... I'm the person who would go Google these things out of, like, just because... I give him that. That That seems legit to me. I mean, I guess it seems sketchy given the circumstances. Sure. But um, I could see myself typing in something like that. Like, just all you're doing is looking for more information on those key terms. And so, like, you want to find out whether he was looking... He could have possibly been looking for, like, how much does it take for someone to overdose? Or, like, is she taking enough that can kill her? Right. Things like that. So, to me, I didn't think... I thought this. The, I thought that was a reasonable explanation. Yeah, that although makes sense. it is kind of, I can see where it's a little, it's a little bit on the line. But to me, that's reasonable. I search all kind of weird stuff. Oh yeah, weird stuff. You know. Yeah. So, if anyone pulled our search history right now, any open cases of oh, murders? Oh, we look like we're plotting absolutely many murders. <laughs> so many murders. My husband's like, I don't ever worry about you killing me because there would be so much evidence against you just because of your vast knowledge you'll never get away with even it even if you didn't do it though i know <laughs> that's the worst part. every night nobody will murder him for multiple <laughs> reasons but what if it i would not do well in jail <laughs> if you listen to as many podcasts as us you understand the importance of good quality headphones that not only have impeccable sound clarity but are also comfortable enough to wear for long periods of time throughout the day Mandy and I recently ordered the newest model of Studio Sweden brand headphones, the Tray, and we're so excited to share a little about them with you. The Tray model are wireless Bluetooth earbuds with 9 plus hours of active battery life and 10 days of standby life. These headphones provide sound transparency, which is great for moms like us who want to be able to listen to our pods and music while still being aware of what's happening around us. This feature, along with the fact that the earbuds are made of sweatproof material, would also make them a great choice for those with an active lifestyle. They provide worldwide shipping with a tracking number, so check them out at studiosweden.com and get 15% off when you enter code MOMSANDMURDER at checkout. Step into the glitzy world of June's journey and prepare for an adventure that's out of this world. Get ready to ditch the dull and dive into a world where mystery meets glamour and where June Parker's drama-filled escapades will have you hooked faster than you can say, flapper dress. Whether you're itching for a whodunit fix or just craving an escape from the mundane, June's journey is your ticket to excitement. 
Follow June as she unravels family secrets and untangles the web of mysteries surrounding her sister's death. It's like joining a high society soiree, but with way more intrigue and way fewer dull conversations about the weather. Just kidding. You know we love a weather chat. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and immerse yourself in a world where every corner holds a new clue and every twist keeps you guessing. But hold on to your pearls because June's journey isn't just another run-of-the-mill mobile game. I'm already knee-deep in the fifth chapter of June's journey, and each chapter is more fun than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the toe-tapping music, everything about June's journey screams class. So what are you waiting for? Step into June's world and let the adventure begin. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. So when investigators asked to examine the computer from Matt's personal desk at where at the center where he worked, they discovered that someone had replaced his computer with that of his secretary and that the computer that was on Matt's desk had just mysteriously vanished with absolutely no explanation given by Matt as to where it went. He just says he has no clue who took the computer or why they would want that. Okay, likely story. That I mean, it's a and computer. You but you didn't just, call the police? Like, you're, right. you got to wonder then, is somebody breaking in and stealing things? Who's right. swapping these computers out? Right. There's a lot of questions <laughs> you would have. Right. So furthermore, Matt told the detectives that the hard drive on his home computer had crashed and that computer was no longer working. So what a coincidence. But he said, um, we watched a 48 hours on this, and he said in one of the interviews with them that um, – computers crash every day no big deal this is totally not suspicious that yeah. there's no access to his home computer um please which, don't make a list of these things because yeah. <laughs> they're starting to add up <laughs> yeah seriously you would think by that point well they were suspicious but i mean it's yeah. really starting to pile on right just the Lots suspicious substantial right evidence by this point in the investigation prosecutors were now suspicious of other details of matt's story They were troubled by the suicide note, which was completely typed, including Carrie's signature. Despite that, there were multiple pins on the dresser next to the note. It would have been really easy for her to have just signed it. And I I don't get that at all. No, and I feel like that's something you would sign. Yeah. You would hand sign it. Guys, I try not to use my printer. And if I'm like frantically trying to do something before my husband gets home, I don't have time to figure out a printing situation. I am always highly suspect of typed suicide notes because – I just feel like it's way too easy for someone to fake it that way. Oh, and so, absolutely. But you would think that even the police, upon first glance, like, oh, this is a completely typed note. That's right. kind of strange because it just seems like weird, a weird thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe not, but I can I – can, to me, it just seems like that wouldn't be the first choice. The second a printer is involved, I'm not doing it because no. I can never <laughs> find our printer. It's always, like, lost in my computer. It just doesn't even know it exists. It's it's a whole thing. You well, know, it takes my, me forever. Oh, I know. Stuff. Well, in mine, I'll send it, and then, like, the data will get lost somewhere in the air, and it, like, <laughs> will, it will print out, like, five hours later, like, after and, like, I've already given up. 72 copies of it. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay, so, yeah, so printers, no, hard pass printers, on printers. Printers, guys, it's not happening. <laughs> the former prosecutor working with Linda enlisted the help of an old friend, Former Texas Ranger, Matt Cawthon. I love a Texas Ranger. Oh, yeah. Of course, reminds me of Chuck Norris. (laughs) I love that show. He agreed with prosecutors and felt that Carrie's death was suspicious and thought that police had dropped the ball on collecting evidence. He felt that the printer, the bottles of alcohol, and an immediate autopsy all should have been collected and done at the time of Carrie's death. When the team reviewed photos of the scene and of Carrie's body, they were unsettled by a few of the details. It could be seen in the photos that Carrie's skin was blue and that the blood pooling process had begun in certain areas. There was also an abrasion of some kind on the bridge of Carrie's nose. These details suggested two things. 
Number one, that Carrie may have been suffocated. And number two, that Carrie would have been dead for much longer than the hour or so Matt was at the video store. Professionals agreed that if Carrie had been alive at 10.30 p.m., as Matt claimed, that she would not have been cold to the touch and she would not have skin discoloration or blood pooling yet either. 18 months after Carrie's death, the Justice of the Peace declared that her death was no longer a suicide and it was officially changed to undetermined. On September 21, 2007, Matt was arrested and charged with the murder. Matt didn't stay in custody for long before he posted bond and went home to his daughters, claiming that he was the victim of a misunderstanding. I can't with that. They always are, aren't they? Yeah. Hmm. He took the girls and moved to Kerrville, Texas, where they lived with his parents. Matt had the support of his family and the community in Kerrville. So this is where Matt's family is from, and this is where he's grown up. And they know him as a little boy. Right. And, and now all that. he's gone on to become this wonderful pastor. And, and this dude's a smooth talker. Right. He really is. Uh huh. And so everyone loved him. So they all were fully behind him, 100%. They absolutely did not believe, or I guess didn't want to believe, that this man could commit such a terrible crime against his wife. Yeah. That's just, it didn't fit. That does not want to be, that. you don't want that to be the first option at all. Like, I can see looking at any other option. And if you know somebody, and the other option is suicide, and they're saying, I didn't do this, I can see how it would be easy to say, I know him. He's a good guy. Right. Yeah. And he's never, you know, I've never felt like got a weird vibe from him or anything like that. Um, Vibes don't mean anything. No, they sure (laughs) don't. Um, So everyone, as I said, had really great things to say about him. Everyone, that is, except for one former friend named Jill, who says that she spoke to Carrie just a few days before her death. Carrie confided in Jill and told her that she believed Matt was seeing someone else and that Matt had written Carrie a letter in which he stated that he partially blamed her for the death of their daughter. This part really upset me because oh, yeah. I just honestly couldn't even believe it. But the in the letter that Matt wrote to Carrie, he, uh, he the police had found a typed up note that was on his computer mm-hmm. and it had broke down all these things that I guess Matt had problems with. And one of the things that he said to Carrie was that um, she had prayed for their daughter to stop suffering and he was praying for their daughter to live and go right. on to like live until she was old. And he said he felt that God answered Carrie's prayer and their daughter died. And so this was his justification for telling his wife that he felt she was partially responsible for Well, that's going to be helpful to somebody that's already suffering with depression and feels right. terrible and lost their child to now blame that person right. and – question their faith in God and everything. That's just Well, as this so goes gross. on, you just find out so much more that this guy, Matt, is just like such a con artist and a liar and just like he's not he's not a nice person. You no. Know, you find it, it starts becoming more and more clear at this point. It's like, who writes a letter to their wife like that? You no. know? And like that's just – that's absolutely terrible. That's honestly the lowest thing you could it, do. It is. I cannot it really, think of no. anything lower. No, I can't either. So the day before Carrie died, she spoke with that friend Jill again. And Jill said that at this time, Carrie was happy and hopeful, which is kind of the same thing that several of Carrie's friends said about her state of mind that day that she died. So we're going to recap a couple of things that did not add up with Matt's alibi. Number one, he knew the exact time he left the house to get gas in a movie. He says he distinctly remembers looking at the clock and it was 11.11 p.m. In interviews with 48 Hours, he first said that Carrie was awake and had a conversation with him. He kissed her forehead and then leaves the house. Two months later, in another interview with 48 Hours, Matt said that Carrie had rolled back over and gone to sleep and that she was asleep when he left the house that night. Hmm. Real dumb of you to go on 48 Hours with two different stories. Well, that was like the whole thing. Right. He had all this time in between. You know, they are, they've already charged him with murder. He's bonded out. So now they have 
this pending investigation. Right. It's a murder case. They're trying to hopefully take this to trial. And so really his attorney should have been like, dude, shut up and don't talk to anyone because yeah. everything you say can be used in court against you. So don't go on 48 hours like, yeah. for starters. You but know? that says a lot about him and his personality that he just thought he was above the law. Like he was too smart for everybody. Look how much he's already gotten away with really. But his whole life is kind of a lie. Like he's portraying to be this one person and being a sick creep, you know, in another, right. mm-hmm. another way. So number two, Matt also claimed that the first time he knew that Carrie took her own life was when the detective showed him the suicide note. But when he when he called 911, he clearly says to the operator he believes his wife committed suicide. I would not, that would not be my first thought to even say. No, but if that you was. You would just be like thinking, I would think heart attack, I would think a right. million other things. But even if you had seen the suicide note on the table and the pills, yeah. you would say that. You sure. would say, oh, I got home and I found X, Y, and Z things and my wife is in this condition and this is what I think could have happened. Yeah. You wouldn't, you know, but clearly he thought that, you know, but he did go on and say, well, the first, I never knew, you know, it was so hard for me when the detective brought me that suicide note because I had no clue and I was just so broken up and shocked. Well, that doesn't really add up because he said it in the 911 call. like so, Which is you recorded, know. you doofus. Right. So all this stuff is on tape, but he just tries to manipulate and get himself out of everything. So the third thing is that the note was actually very self-serving. Um, it was all about Matt, and it was never critical of him, and it was really actually apologetic towards him. I'm sorry that this happened and, you know, all of that, but never like, <laughs> this sucks, everything sucks, and I'm sorry things weren't better or whatever. But she did not put any blame on him, which she could have done easily. Right. The blood, um, and the last point was that the blood pooling in Carrie's limbs suggested that she had been dead much longer than 45 minutes, but they were unable to determine an exact cause of death. Exhuming her body three months later, a lot of stuff is going to be not show up. Right. And who wants to have an autopsy? Like, you know, her mom, Linda, who wants to go into that? Whenever the police are saying basically it's suicide, you're not going to want to do any of that. Like, no. just let it be. Right. And another note, um, just quickly, is that when the paramedics arrived on the scene, Carrie was on the floor. And that's because Matt said that she was on the bed and he moved her to the floor to give CPR. Right. But um, another point about the blood pooling is that in one of her arms, I can't remember if it was left or right, but one of her arms had more um, pronounced, like, it's like significant right. blood pooling. And so to them, it, st- it basically said that she was on an elevated surface like the bed and her arm may have been, hang- one arm may have been hanging mm-hmm. off. And so just, of course, by gravity, that arm had more of the signs of the blood pooling. Um, so that really didn't line up with Matt's version of events either because, mm-hmm. again, there just simply wasn't enough time elapsed between when he claims to have seen her alive and gone to the store and then when he returned, all of these things, like, wouldn't have already been possible at that point. Right. One thing I learned on one of my favorite podcasts, People Are Wild, is if you're doing CPR correctly, you're going to break some ribs. And she didn't have anything like that. There was no bruising there or anything that showed that he put any effort into oh, CPR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's not, he's not, like a scrawny little guy at all. But, um, you know, if he was really actually trying and that's your wife and you're wanting to revive her, there'd be bruising, uh there'd be broken ribs, all that. So Matt and the girls continued living with his parents for the two years following Carrie's death. By this point, his relationship with Vanessa was over and he had pending murder charges against him. In the state of Texas, in order to send a case to trial, the district attorney has to get a grand jury indictment within 180 days. 
Unfortunately, they were unable to complete this process, and the 180-day period lapsed, and all criminal charges against Matt were officially dropped on March 25, 2008. The assistant DA simply felt that there was just not enough evidence against Matt to move forward with a murder trial. Really, really disappointing. Really heartbreaking. Because um, it's just... But you it's only just have that, one shot. You do. And so I understand, like, you have to get it right whenever you're going to go forward with this process. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of resources involved in bringing a murder case against somebody. And you can't do it unless you really have a shot at it. And so I can. it's just so frustrating. And I feel like there is so many things, but... You just, you're just almost there, but you just don't quite have it yet. Right. So that's really disappointing and upsetting. Of course, um, he was just thrilled and thought that he won the lottery, I guess, because yeah, once this, again. this time period ran out on him and um, he went around telling everyone how blessed he was and all of that. And it was just a mess. Former prosecutor Bill Johnston was deflated, but he wasn't going to give up that easily. He knew that there was no statute of limitations on murder and agreed to help Linda build a civil case against Matt. They were going to sue him for wrongful death, and he hoped that in the process of building that case, they would uncover details that would make it possible to try again for a criminal case. Right. So this is pretty smart. Very. You're already going to be investigating this now for the wrongful death thing. So if you do come up with something, hey, you can bring it back to the DA and say, now we have this. Can we now try to go forward with a murder trial? Right. All of the evidence they had was circumstantial, and it's difficult to take a case to trial when they can't prove a cause of death. Prosecutors suspected that Vanessa knew more than she was letting on, and they wanted her testimony really badly. They believed that Vanessa and Matt were having an affair prior to Carrie's death, and that she likely knew some of Matt's secrets. By this point, they had proof that the pair had been in phone contact, and a jewelry store clerk had confirmed that Vanessa and Matt were looking at wedding rings just weeks after Carrie had died. The prosecution subpoenaed her to testify in front of a grand jury and in return promised not to use her testimony against her. That is tough. That is risky. That is putting all your eggs in one basket. And I'm sure they consulted with the family to say, this is what we're offering her and we might be able to get something against him, but then she can't be held liable for anything. That is tough stuff. I always struggle with that when, I mean, and I know that you have to do what they have to do to try and get... They want to put the right person behind bars, but I always struggle with giving people immunity for telling their story. Like, if you're guilty of a crime, you're guilty of a crime. So right. I always get, you know, you know, just to even say, well, if you if you tell us this or if you do this, then we won't send you to jail for your part. You know right. what I mean? That just bothers me. It feels wrong. It feels, oh. like, dirty and skeevy, and I don't like that. I <laughs> All very, very good points, Mandy. <laughs> but with law in America... <laughs> I think that you can definitely do that. But I know in these kind of cases, they do go to the families and say, this is what we're working with and this is not ideal or whatever, but who do you really want? Like, do you think Vanessa would have done anything to Carrie if Matt wasn't involved? Like, she would have never just gone up to Carrie and killed her. Right. But if he's the mastermind, he's the one that put it into motion, that's who you really want. Vanessa initially stuck to her story on the stand until she was asked if Matt had ever told her anything about Carrie's death. She then drops a bombshell and stated that Matt had admitted to murdering Carrie and told Vanessa that he had done it for her. She testified that Matt told her that he had smothered Carrie with a pillow. In March 2009, Matt was rearrested and charged with murder for the second time, and the state's star witness in this trial would be none other than Vanessa. I truly believe that he that Vanessa paid attention to him at some point, and she was really pretty. She was way out of yeah, his Yeah, she league. was. We're not that shallow on this show, but... 
honestly, there are some very obvious things. And one being, he looks like a little hermit man. <laughs> and she was really pretty and out of his league. And she was really young, too. I, I believe she was young. only 24. Yeah. At the time. She, she was. So if he's, and he, we know that he goes after younger women already. But, um, but to me, it almost seemed like she was a prize to him. And he looked at her as like this trophy. And she even says something about that, um, that it was like a, she's his dirty little secret, which Ugh, I would have kicked that small man <laughs> in his small parts. <laughs> when prosecutors made their opening statements in the trial, they laid out the situation in front of the jury, telling them about Matt's questionable past behavior and his affair with Vanessa. Matt's defense attorney, Guy James Gray, adjusted his opening remarks and told the court that it was true that Matt was having an affair with Vanessa and that they had lied to their families and to the police, but that did not make Matt a murderer. He told the jury that Carrie had taken a mixture of medication that led to her death. Three days into the trial, Carrie's mother, Linda, took the stand and testified that Carrie's grief counselor had shared information with her about Carrie's sessions. Carrie had told her about her fears that Matt was trying to kill her, but also that she had found a bottle of unidentified crushed pills in Matt's briefcase. The jury also heard testimony that Matt had visited a website and placed a generic version of Ambien in his shopping cart, although that purchase was never made. They were unable to determine whether he purchased Ambien from another source. That's also sad because she's telling her grief counselor who, like, I don't even know exactly the laws on that, but there is, like, confidentiality there, and I guess if... What do you do? I don't know because I know that they have a duty, like if you say you're going to kill yourself, they yeah. have a duty to report it report it, and step in and get you the help that you need at the time. But I don't know what they can really do if you're just saying, I think my husband's trying to kill me. I well, I'm sure know. they suggested she go to the police or something and right. she probably said, well, I can be, you know, who wants to think their spouse is trying to kill them? Right. But also had the police investigated anything earlier on and he has a crush up bottle of pills in a briefcase, that could have been helpful early on. Right. Yeah, it would have been nice to know that about yeah. that. Mm -hmm. So on the fourth day of the trial, Vanessa was called to the stand where she admitted that she had lied about the affair. She told the jury that she met Matt in the fall of 2005 and that Matt had approached her at church and told her that whoever found her was going to be a lucky man. First of all, that is the creepiest thing right. that a man can walk up and tell a woman he doesn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is, right? I, it, no, it totally <laughs> is. Like, hi, I have a personality. Thank you very much. I mean, people are always complimenting me on my looks, so I get <laughs> what was happening with her. No, I'm just kidding. But no, really, it is like it's I would weird. be turned off by him automatically. Just like, right. oh, that's, please don't try so hard. Right. Yeah. No, seriously, I would too. And I don't know if it was because she was younger and maybe not as experienced with that kind of thing, but um yeah, that 24? would just be... 24? She's not a baby. Well, she was married. She was. And she was going through a divorce or had recently been divorced. So right. that kind of tells me she may have met her first husband when she was really young and yeah. didn't have a lot of experience in the dating world or anything or have a, lot of, fingers. have a lot of experience with, you know, with interactions with different kinds of people in order to know like, okay, this one is weird. This one is Thumbs up, <laughs> normal. thumbs down. Yeah. <laughs> she would be terrible on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> So Matt told Vanessa that he had actually counseled people going through divorce before and he had lost a child and all these things, basically selling himself as a trustworthy Such a person. Manipulator. Yes, so manipulative. He's preying on her. Absolutely. And, you know, is using his credentials, whatever they were, to get her to talk to him and get closer right. to her. And that is just disgusting. It is. <laughs> 
So when Vanessa would go to these counseling sessions, Matt would speak badly about his wife, calling her a bad mother, a bad wife, saying insulting things about her appearance. He would call her fat. He would just say all these terrible things about his wife to Vanessa. Another thing. That's like a red flag. Why? Obviously, this is not a good person. First of all, he's married, number one. Yeah. (laughs) So just step away. Yeah. But secondly, whenever he starts talking crap about his wife in front of you, that should immediately be like, whoa, like, I don't know if I should continue on. So the person he promised to be with forever and love forever and all that, he can talk badly about, but you're new here, so he's nice right. to you. <laughs> right. What's going to happen in a year right. if you make him mad or you gain weight or whatever? Right. Like, it's just ugly. So at some point, Matt convinced Vanessa to attend counseling sessions in his home. This just gets more and more inappropriate. Dear Lord, Vanessa. I know, just just step away at any time. You could stop this. Um, so at one of after one of these sessions in Matt's home, he asked Vanessa if he could hold her hands to pray with her. And she agreed, but she said that after this prayer was done and this counseling session was over, he just made a move on her and started kissing her and then initiated this trip to the bedroom where they slept together. Vanessa says that she was remorseful about their little encounter, but... For some odd reason, she allowed the affair to continue. So in the meantime, of course, Matt was telling her that he wanted to be with her and he wanted Carrie out of his life. So Vanessa stated that Matt had told her the story of Carrie's death just a few days after it had happened, but of course he told her to keep quiet about it. According to Vanessa's testimony, Matt gave Carrie a mix of wine coolers and pills that he claimed were some type of sexual stimulant. But in reality, he had filled the capsules with crushed Ambien. So he then handcuffed Carrie to their bed until she fell asleep. And at that point, he grabbed a pillow and began to suffocate her. His first attempt was unsuccessful, and he was startled when Carrie made a gasp for air. So he then placed the pillow over her face a second time, making sure to hold it over her nose and mouth until she stopped breathing. I think that's just so terrible. I really... I don't know how a person could actually do that to another person. No. That's, like, that's terrible. It's not even quick or anything. Like, it's just... Yeah. Like, you have something mentally wrong with you to be able to actually do that. Just like Lenny Kravitz, I want to get away. I want to fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I'm stuck on the ground for now, I can settle for a new kind of journey, all with a fun mobile game. Step into the enchanting world of June Parker with June's Journey, where a spectacular adventure awaits you. And the best part? No plane tickets needed. Bid farewell to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a realm where intrigue dances with elegance, all thanks to the drama-filled escapades of our charming heroine, June Parker. Whether you crave a captivating mystery or simply wish to escape the humdrum of daily life, June's journey is your portal to excitement. Join June on her quest to uncover hidden family secrets and navigate the tangled web surrounding her sister's demise. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and dive into a world where each corner holds a new clue and every twist leaves you on the edge of your seat. But hold on to your pearls because June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm knee deep in the fifth chapter and each section is really more delightful than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect oozes sophistication and refinement. So don't hesitate any longer. Step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure unfold. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. So Vanessa finally testified that she knew all along that Matt was plotting the murder, which is another huge bombshell dropped on the court. Um, You know, this is a person who is now up there saying, yeah, I knew about it. He told me the exact day that he was planning on doing it and that he had been 
kind of just toying around with several different ideas for ways of how he could pull it off. And she even knew that. This reminds me of the, um, my favorite, uh, gif, the, what's her face? The you in danger girl, um, Whoopi Goldberg, the one that says you in danger. Oh, yeah. Like that's all this reminds me of. Like, oh my gosh, these are so many signs. Yeah. For yeah. You. Yeah. And you could be a good person. You could like make up for the terrible things you've done by just calling the police and saying, heads up. Right. This poor mother. Right. Like, who cares what he says about her? She's a mom and she has these babies that she cares about. How freaking selfish and terrible. I, I can only just this. imagine though, because it's clear that Matt was very manipulative and who knows what all kind of stuff he was telling Vanessa and she may have just been naive at the time and not really even realized how deep she was in it at that point. Um, I know I'd like to think I would be like... You would, Mandy. You're a human person <laughs> with a soul. I'm literally having to bite my lip until it bleeds to not go off on this because... You, it could, it never had to happen. Right. She didn't tell a single soul about knowing this information ahead of time. And she could have easily called the police. Anonymously. Mm-hmm. She could have done anything. It, literally anything. And it's not even like they stay together after this. Like they right. break up pretty quickly after this. Yeah. So was it worth it? It wasn't. Matt's attorney insisted that Vanessa was a liar. He brought a witness to the stand to testify that the DNA on the printed suicide note was Carrie's which he hoped would provide doubt that Matt had murdered her. After seven hours of deliberation, the jury returned with a guilty verdict. After the trial ended, Matt's attorney admitted that he had little faith in his client after he learned that he had lied about the affair with Vanessa, which he had claimed he had only found out about a month before the trial began. That is putting you behind the eight ball. Mm -hmm. Like, all the stuff you're defending, and then it's like, oh, by the way, I've been lying to you about this whole thing. He requested that he be removed from the case, but Matt insisted that he remain his attorney and the judge required him to stay on the case. I almost wonder if Matt wanted him to stay on the case because he knew if he did a bad job, if anything went wrong and he has appeals down the road, he can say, well, I wasn't even represented fairly. Like that's, you know, that's one of the reasons for appeal. Yeah. He has since said that this is the only case where he has ever wished he'd never taken it and that he had absolutely no heart in it. That's terrible. I feel like that would just be a really awful, like, gut-wrenching feeling and to have in your career, like, a moment like that where you're like, man, I really wish I wouldn't have done that or, yeah. you know. I mean, he had no idea. It's not his fault going into it. He he really did think, you know. He was innocent. He was innocent or at least that he w- could not be proven to be guilty. There was not enough evidence against him. So Matt was found guilty and was sentenced to 65 years in prison. So Carrie's daughters, Kenzie and Grace, remained in the care of Matt's parents after the trial. Linda, Carrie's mother, fought for custody of the girls, and in July 2011, she won the battle and obtained custody. The girls, who were 15 and 10 at the time, were upset about the court's decision to remove them from their paternal grandparents' home, where they had lived since 2009 and wanted to remain. Yeah. Matt's parents had kind of, well, I'm not saying this, I'm the other side of the family felt that Matt's parents had kind of done a form of brainwashing on the children and they had well they felt that Matt was innocent right that's their son and so that's what they had told the girls that um you know your dad has been wrongfully accused of this it's not true he didn't do it he was a great person he's still a good dad one day he's gonna get out of jail this is what they're telling these kids right um which is kind of I wouldn't go that far and say he's getting out. Like, you yeah. Know, I wouldn't tell them that and yeah. like, give them their kids. Like, don't give them that hope. You know, it, right. you know he's probably not getting out. He just right. got convicted of murdering someone. 
I just think that's very bizarre. But as the kids, I can understand why they would feel, you know, they feel secure where they're at at the time and they've been living there. They have established themselves. They go to school. They have, you know, I don't know anything about mass parents. They're probably lovely. Yeah. And the girls probably enjoyed living there. So that's really hard though for Carrie's parents because I'm sure that they want nothing more than just to have those girls. Oh my gosh. That's a piece of Carrie that they would have. And yeah, that, I always wonder how that kind of works and I'm sure there's some kind of a system in place. If like, why doesn't the children, why don't the children automatically go to like the victim's family? Why does it go to the convicted killer's family? That doesn't make sense at all to me. So I'm sure that was a factor in why they ended up saying, you know, they ended up granting custody to Linda because I'm sure that had something to do with it, you know. I might be giving this too much thought. But remember Matt moved back in with his parents? I almost wonder if – I am really giving him too much credit. But if he kind of knew they have this relationship, they're living with those grandparents, those grandparents will, you know, like don't take them out of this home that they've known. So – Honestly, I think that guy's manipulative enough to do oh, something oh, like that. Oh, for sure he is. He yeah. probably he would have been trying to set set it up yeah, that yeah. way so that he could control the situation from his jail cell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of. Oh thing. yeah, and then they can come see him and all that. Exactly. Stuff. He is exactly. Yeah. The worst kind of mm-hmm. person. So Matt actually just twelve days after his conviction, he was disciplined in jail for making obscene sexual hand gestures towards two female inmates. I hate this guy so much. This is just 12 days after he's convicted. But how does this happen? Where are you around female inmates? I don't know. Explain that I guess part it was to like me. some kind of co-ed jail. Or maybe they have like Mandy, times I think we're... <laughs> no. No. Have you not watched 60 Days In? Because they are in different <laughs> sections. They are not seeing each other. Well, were they... Well, this wasn't that... This is still current. This is not that long ago. This is since 2000. But maybe they are... Mandy, this was not on the Oregon maybe. Trail. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm just telling you what I found. He... Make hand gestures at two female inmates. I don't know how he was in contact (laughs) with female inmates. Don't ask me the hard questions. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, that just, man, it just says more to me about him and his perversions and just not a good dude. No. So he did file an appeal, but um, the appeals court refused his appeal. So good. Woohoo. Good for them. So, guys, that was our story on Carrie Baker. Uh, now we're going to do our new segment. Melissa, what's our new segment going to be called? It's called Last Thing Before We Go. Isn't last that thing, original? Last Thing Before We Go. Hashtag <laughs> Last Thing Before We Go. So, um, we decided to ask our little Facebook group if there was something they would want us to quickly talk about to kind of lighten the mood after a case. Because some of these cases are really tough. And while we try and keep it light... It's murder. Sometimes you just need Sometimes you something. need like um, like a palate cleanser. Yeah. Let us be your palate cleanser. Yes. <laughs> but don't because that's weird. So our idea that, you know, always, I'm already taking more time than I meant to, but our idea was just to kind of have something that we talk about really quickly and you guys can decide on it. So you can send us Twitter, Instagram, whatever, hashtag, what did I call this? <laughs> Hashtag last thing before we go. Or some variation. We'll find it. Don't worry. (laughs) So the first one we decided to do uh, was we're going to spend two minutes talking about, and it's timed, Mandy. So if you're passionate about this, you need to just get on board and get your words in because I will fight you if you do not agree with me on this. Jeez. (laughs) Very extra salty today. So um, we're... We're using the idea of best binge-worthy show. So these can be ideas like podcasts we like, 
some crazy conspiracy theory Mandy likes, <laughs> reality TV I like, or whatever, foods, doesn't matter, kids parenting, whatever, just something fun and light. So Mandy, for two minutes, we will quickly discuss your favorite binge-worthy shows. Ready? Sure. Okay, so I go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start with Breaking Bad. Yes, that's, okay, well, time's up because that's the one that I would pick. Yes, if you haven't watched Breaking Bad, Matt in our group, who's so wonderful, uh, one of our listeners, he just started it. He actually questioned if he should start it. Oh my gosh. And everyone, of course, jumped in and was like, are you kidding? Of course you have to watch this. Yeah. Melissa and I both watch this show the whole entire way through. Probably once a year. I mean, I'm actually approaching the time where I should start watching it again. Right? I'm getting like a little itch. Yeah, yeah. And especially now talking about it. Yeah. Um, It's great. If you've never seen the show, it's so good. The themes in the show are, of course, not suitable for children. Um, Well, duh. (laughs) Well, some people might not know that if they've never heard of the show. Okay, guys. It's about a teacher who decides to sell meth to help his family get money for his cancer, cancer treatment. treatment. That's it's, not giving anything away. You find that out in no, the pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's and if you're living on planet Earth, you know that much, right? I'm not going to apologize. So what's your favorite part about Breaking Bad? Um, everything. Um, I love Jesse. Well, we can't go into the people. I don't want to do too many spoilers. I know because what's your pa- favorite part about binging something, Mandy? What do you like about binging television? Is there another bingeable TV show? We only have 45 seconds left. I don't know. My favorite part about binging something on TV is that I don't have to wait for the next episode. So I like to watch things that already have like the full series available. Right. Or a whole season available because I don't like to wait. And especially if it's really good, I want to be like, I want to go to the next episode. So that would be my favorite thing about binging something. Also binging equals eating snacks. So yeah. food count me in. Perfect. The only thing I have negative about binging is that Netflix will judge you when you binge things. After Are about you still four watching? <laughs> yes, Netflix. Shut up. Go harass somebody else. Of course I'm still watching and now I have to find my phone to push play to keep this going. I just want to watch this and fall asleep and eat a bunch of salty and sweet snacks, please. That is our two minutes. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> I'm literally whatever that was. I'm going to spend the next few days deciding if I want this to be in the episode or not. We'll see. Okay. We might need to up the time limit to like three minutes because two minutes of talking is just not enough. (laughs) It depends on the category. So we'll come up with some other categories. So it's a floating time, but we will keep it timed because otherwise we did have some other good suggestions um, that we could have chosen. So maybe next week we'll choose one of those other ones um, that was suggested in the group. There was one about... What's our favorite go-to meal to cook when we're tired and everyone's hungry? And those <laughs> Not will be a meal, <laughs> right? Those will be fun ones to discuss as well. So hopefully we'll uh, get the ball rolling with this, yeah. and we'll who just who knows have, it can turn into like right. a point counterpoint sort of thing where yeah. you argue your points. We missed like having that. all of our I'm invincible win on my Dateline. That was always a fun thing to do at the end of the show. So we're just trying to bring something like that back to the show. Yes. So if you guys have a suggestion or want to hear us just randomly talk about a random topic. Send it to us and we will. What's the hashtag, Mandy? Last thing before we leave? Last thing Uh, before we go? You got it. You got it. Okay. (laughs) Well, the last thing before we go is we're playing a promo this week from our dear friend Lainey, who has a wonderful show called True Crime Fan Club. And And we're all just pretending. And we're all just pretending she has two. Um, But her voice, I hate complimenting her because she's just basically an egomaniac. I'm just kidding. (laughs) She's absolutely wonderful. But she has such a good voice where anytime I hear her, I'm like, Mandy, why are we even doing this? I know. I agree. My voice sounds like nails on a chalkboard compared to this. No, yours is great. Mine's a little on the harsh side. (laughs) Oh, I can tell by the jumps that the thing 
the thing that we use. The editor takes whenever you talk. Like we have very different um, vocal stylings. But that's what makes us us, Melissa and Mandy. Together forever. Okay. <laughs> you guys have a great week. We're never doing this again. Okay. <laughs> and listen to listen out for Lainey's promo. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, it's Lainey, host of the True Crime Fan Club podcast. If you're a true crime addict like I am, then my podcast is for you. It's a podcast for the ultimate true crime enthusiast, giving you a glimpse into the life and crimes of the most demented minds. You won't want to miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.